If you have your Bible this morning, I invite you to turn with me to the Old Testament book of 2 Samuel. Uh, We'll be in the last chapter, chapter 24, and today I'm excited to bring to you uh, what I believe will be the last message in our worship series, our message series on uh, flawed leaders, lessons from flawed leaders, 1 and 2 Samuel. This is message number 23. We started this back in August, and uh, today we come, I believe, to the end. Uh, What if it rained diamonds? Have you ever wondered that? I bet you haven't. But what if it did? What if it rained diamonds this afternoon, right here in Nacogdoches? Uh, Flawless, uh, perfectly clear, five-carat diamonds raining down from heaven. Maybe our precipitation would be one to two inches. What if it rained diamonds? What you could do, men, listen, if it happens, you could go to your backyard, reach down into the dirt, and scoop up a big handful of diamonds, bring them to your wife, and say this should cover every gift-giving holiday and every requisite romantic expression for the rest of our days. And you could mark that off your list. Now ladies, help the men out. Would that be enough? No, it wouldn't. Why wouldn't it? Women say that they love diamonds. Well, women don't love diamonds because diamonds are pretty. Women love diamonds because they are rare and because they are expensive. Uh, I'm sure uh, that if I had a five-carat diamond on this hand and a five-carat piece of glass on this hand, that none of you would be able to tell the difference uh, unless you were my banker. (laughs) Uh, Diamonds are valuable because of of, of their scarcity. In fact, I want to show you a diamond I found online and some of you men may want to try to get in on this. I think we can put it on the screen. Uh, This is from Blue Nile. It's a uh, online diamond seller. It's a five carat diamond, D color, that's the best, VVS1, which is uh, almost without a flaw. And the price, $415,506. Now, don't be discouraged by that because it comes with free shipping. It's not overnight, but it's free shipping. And uh, if you'll notice right at the top of the screen, I have added it to my cart. And I told my wife that if she can get them to accept our credit card, she can have it. And uh, I'll give you an update as, uh, as things go on. Listen, if you could scoop up these diamonds from your backyard, they would not be worth $400,000. Uh, Diamonds are valuable because they're rare and they're expensive because they're rare. Uh, If you give your wife, men, those who are married, uh, uh, a handful of just uh, compressed charcoal from the backyard, uh, it it will not be a good gift. Now, I'm not making fun of women or of gift giving or even of some exorbitant uh, expression of love. Uh, I sent roses to my last to, to my wife last week, and I wasn't even in trouble. Uh, so I think this is good sometimes. 
And men, if you've never wasted a bunch of money on a woman, then uh, you don't know one of the great joys of life. But what I'm trying to do is to connect our love and affection to a costly, sacrificial gift. If we truly love, if we truly adore, that will be demonstrated in the sacrifice, in the cost of our devotion. And we see this very clearly right here in 2 Samuel chapter 24. So let me read the passage of Scripture, then we'll come back to this idea. I want to begin in verse 16. The Bible says, the angel extended his hand toward Jerusalem to destroy it. Now you should know that David has again committed some grave sin, uh, this time connected more to his pride and his arrogance, but he's committed this sin. The people have committed it with David, and so now God is judging David and the nation because of their guilt, and so God sends an angel to bring destruction upon the nation. And it says here in verse 16 that the angel has come, but the Lord relented concerning the destruction and said to the angel who was destroying the people, enough, withdraw your hand now. And the angel of the Lord was then at the threshing floor of Arana the Jebusite. Now, there's an important thing there that would be easy to miss. This angel sent by God to bring this judgment, this destruction on the people, when God says enough is enough with the destruction, the angel is at a particular place, this threshing floor, the threshing floor of Arana the Jebusite. Now, just know for now that this is the exact same location that we read about way back in Genesis chapter 22. Now, if you don't know that story, that's the story of Abraham who is told by God to sacrifice his son Isaac up on top of the mountain. And so Abraham, with God's instructions, took his son Isaac, went up on top of the mountain for the sacrifice. Now that mountain, that exact same spot is this spot. Now you know what happened on that mountain. On that mountain, God provided a substitute for Isaac, and so instead of Isaac being sacrificed, a ram was sacrificed. And that's important, we'll come back to that. Look at verse 17. It says, when David saw the angel striking the people, he said to the Lord, look, I am the one who has sinned. I am the one who has done wrong. But these sheep, what have they done? Please let your hand be against me and my father's family. Now, so David says to the Lord, please don't bring more destruction on the people because I'm the one, David said, I'm the one who is guilty of sin. So let your judgment fall on me instead of on the people. Let me bear the guilt here before you instead of the people bearing the guilt before you. Now, that should sound familiar. Who's someone else who said the same thing? Jesus. We're going to see Jesus three times in this account. And I want you to notice each one because as we put these together, we have a beautiful picture of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so Jesus was the one who came and said, I want to take the judgment of God. I want to take the wrath of God, not for my sin, but for the sin of all the people. 
And so Jesus said, I want to be the substitute. Just as there was a ram back in Genesis 22 that was a substitute for Isaac, now David comes to the same place and says, I want to be a substitute for the people. Ultimately, Jesus comes and is our substitute. He takes the wrath of God so that we don't have to take it, and that's the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. Now, there's a giant difference, though, in what David offered to do and what Jesus did. When David said he would take the wrath of God for the sins of the people, the problem was David, too, was guilty of sin. And so if David took the wrath of God, he wouldn't be taking it for the sins of the people. He would be taking it for his own sins. But Jesus was sinless. And so when Jesus took the wrath of God, he was not taking it for himself because he was without sin. He was taking it for us, for us. That's the first way we see Jesus in this story. Look at verse 18. It says, Gad came to David that day and said to him, go up and set up an altar to the Lord on the threshing floor of Arana the Jebusite. So Gad's a prophet and he comes to David and he says, you should go up to this threshing floor you should go up the hill a little bit from where David's palace was, and you should, you should build uh, an altar. Look at verse 21. We'll skip it down a little bit. Arana said, why has my Lord the king come to his servant? And David replied, to buy the threshing floor from you in order to build an altar to the Lord so that the plague on the people may be halted. So David is headed up uh, to this uh, spot on the crest of the hill, and that's where uh, he has been instructed to build this altar, to offer this sacrifice. It doesn't belong to him, it belongs to this other man. So the other man is there and he says, David, why have you come? And David said, I've come because I want this field and I wanna offer a sacrifice. Well, look at verse 22, 23, it says, Arana said to David, my Lord, the king may take whatever he wants and offer it. Here, uh, here's the oxen for a burnt offering and the threshing sleds and ox yokes for the wood. Your majesty, Arana gives everything here to the king. And so Arana was very excited that the king had chosen to do this on his land. And so Arana says, I'll give you the land free of charge, and I'll give you the oxen, and I'll give you the wood, everything you need to offer a sacrifice right here. Now look at verse, verse 24. This is the most important verse here. It says, the king answered Arana, no, I insist on buying it from you for a price, for I will not offer to the Lord my God burnt offerings that cost me nothing. And so David bought the threshing floor, that's the land, and the oxen for 20 ounces of silver. So we see here a connection between David's love for the Lord and this sacrifice that he insisted on making. See, if we worship in a way that costs us nothing, then that worship is worth nothing. It's worth nothing to God, and it's worth nothing to us. It's the sacrifice that makes our worship meaningful to God, and it's our sacrifice that makes worship meaningful to the worshiper. 
That's why Jesus said, where your treasure is, so your heart will be also. When we sacrifice for something, it increases our affection and our love. If you give your wife roses, they will be men ridiculously expensive. Just for some weeds that'll die in less than a week. They are ridiculously expensive, but they are an expression of your love exactly because they're expensive, right? And so our worship, if it's real worship, has to be costly. David says, I will not offer to the Lord, my God, burnt offerings that cost me nothing. Now we see here the second parallel with Jesus. The Bible says in Philippians 2 that Jesus took on the likeness of man and he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death on the cross. Jesus gave a costly offering to the Father for the forgiveness of our sins. Now look at verse 25. It says, he built an altar to the Lord there and he offered burnt offerings and fellowship offerings. And then the Lord was receptive to prayer for the land and the plague on Israel ended. Now we see one more allusion here to Christ. Uh, they have uh, gone up the hill. So a little bit of a geography lesson. The city of David, the old city, they call it today, uh, was built on a ridge uh, with two valleys and the ridge uh, went from low to high, and partway up that ridge, that's the city of David. David's palace would have been at the top of the portion that was the city. But there was still a little further up the ridge, a higher spot. It's probably uh, 500 yards between where the palace of David was located and the very top of the ridge. And so David goes to the top of the ridge to build this altar. Uh, now the top of the ridge, as we've already said, same place that uh, Abraham brought Isaac and ended up uh, offering Isaac's substitute, uh, the ram. And now David is offering a sacrifice here uh, to stop, to appease the Lord and to stop the judgment of God. This is also the same place, exact same place where Solomon would build the temple. The Holy of Holies would sit on this exact spot where people would worship God for all of those years. And then the second temple built on this very same spot. And then just about a hundred feet north of here is where Jesus was condemned to die. Right up there on that mountain, the same spot. And then about a quarter mile north of that, down the ridge a little bit, is where Jesus was crucified. This is the spot. It's interesting that the whole Bible points to Jesus. And we see it in Genesis 22 when Abraham marches up that hill with Isaac and finds a substitute. We see it here when David comes up this hill and says, I will not offer that which costs me nothing. And we see it again when they build the temple here and they build the next temple here. And then when Jesus comes here and was condemned to die and just not far from here, Jesus was crucified because he became the substitute for our sin. This is a picture of the gospel of Jesus Christ. The truth is, the most wonderful truth is that though we are all guilty of sin and our sin separates us from God, 
We are hopeless in our sin. There's nothing we can do to overcome our sin. Even if we were perfect from this point forward, the truth is we've sinned in the past and we stand guilty before God. But Jesus, this very spot, Jesus was condemned to die, to pay the penalty not for his sins but ours, so that if we trust what Jesus has done on the cross for us, if we trust Jesus as our substitute with the wrath of God, we ask Jesus to be the master, the Lord of our lives. The Bible says that the Lord will adopt us into his family, forgive all of our sins, past, present, and future, and we will be children of God. And you see this unfolding all the way through uh, the story, the story of Scripture. Now, David said, I will not offer God that which cost me nothing. That is a fundamental lesson for how it is that we should live the Christian life. Uh, so let's talk about this. David said again, I will not offer God that which cost me nothing. He's saying, I'm not going to give my wife just a handful of dirt out of the backyard. I'm not going to give my wife flowers I picked from the weeds in the ditch. Now, we're not talking about husbands and wives. We're talking about how to have an affection, a meaningful, genuine love for the Lord. A love for the Lord that's more than just a token of appreciation. A love for the Lord that is, is demonstrated by a costly sacrifice. And it's a love for the Lord that the world will never understand. David made a bargain that didn't make good business sense, right? Somebody has tried to give him the field and the elements of, of the sacrifice for free. And he turns down this free offer and insists on paying for it from the world's perspective makes no sense. But from the Lord's perspective, this is the logic of the Christian life. Uh, the world understands the principle, you get what you pay for, right? If you give enough time and energy and resources to something and you gain something back, that's business, right? You give a restaurant your money, they give you a nice meal. You give your employer your time and energy, and your employer gives you salary and benefits. You do something nice for someone, it's reasonable to expect that one day they will do something nice back to you. The world understands that. The world understands even investing for the future. You, you sacrifice for your education so you can have a better job. You you set money aside for retirement, so you have money in old age. You work lower paying jobs, so one day you can have a higher paying job. The world understands that. What the world does not understand is loving God and voluntarily, eagerly, and gladly making sacrifices for the Lord. The world doesn't understand it's us embracing inconvenience. The world doesn't understand us suffering hardships all because we love Jesus and only because we love Jesus. I love what the Apostle Paul said in Philippians 3. He said, everything that, um, that was a gain to me, everything that was valuable to me, I have considered it all to be a loss because of Christ. 
More than that, I also consider everything to be a loss in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. Because of him, I have suffered the loss of all things and consider them as dung so that I may gain Christ. The goal of my message, church, this morning is not that anyone would feel bad that they are not doing enough, giving enough, uh, attending enough, or, or loving enough. What I want to do is present a biblical view of the Christian faith and a love for God that the world, frankly, uh, cannot understand. Uh, not only is this not something the world uh, cannot understand, but it's something that, honestly, most churches don't preach. You know, we have made the Christian faith a self-help program in a lot of ways. We've made the Christian faith some therapeutic support. We've made it a reasonable bargain. Uh, when, when churches uh, teach God's Word, so often they, they, they teach this, you follow Christ so your life will be better. You read your Bible so that you will have more peace. You go to church so you'll experience love. You give so you will get. You raise kids in church so that they'll stay out of trouble. You pray so God will heal your mama. And oftentimes that's the sum total of the Christian message that's presented. But listen, that's a bargain. That's us giving something so that we get something. That's not biblical Christianity. Uh, but when we preach those kinds of sermons, oftentimes the world just gets it. In fact, if we can be convincing enough uh, with those kinds of sermons, we can draw a crowd and we can get people excited. Just ask people like Joel Osteen or T.D. Jakes or Paula White and listen, you follow God and your life will be better. Your life will be better. But there is a faith, there is a devotion and an affection for God that has nothing to do with the reasonable bargain. There's a costly faith. There's an unreasonable faith when measured by the standards of the world. There is a love for the Lord that's motivated by nothing except the majesty, the holiness, and the greatness of God. David said, I will not offer the Lord that which costs me nothing. He says it won't make good business sense, but it'll make perfect worship sense. And so I want to start with that idea, and I want to present a love for the Lord that the world could never understand. So let me share it with you in a few parts. Number one, this love is expressed in unreasonable sacrifice, unreasonable sacrifice. So you see it here with David. Uh, he uh, paid for the land and the oxen and the, and the firewood, and he didn't have to pay for it. Uh, he, it was unreasonable, right? He could have gotten it for free, but instead he chooses to pay for it. It was unreasonable. It was an unreasonable sacrifice, but in that unreasonable sacrifice, David demonstrates a love for God that the world would, would never understand. I can show this to you in the New Testament. Let me just read something from the gospels in John chapter 12. It says, Mary uh, one of the followers of Christ, Mary took a pound of perfume, pure and expensive nard, anointed Jesus' feet and wiped his feet with her hair so that the house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. That was an unreasonable sacrifice, right? 
This was a very expensive jar of perfume. It was probably the most valuable thing Mary owned. It was probably something that had been passed down from generation to generation. It represented her generational wealth and she pours it out on the feet of Jesus. How unreasonable, but it was an expression of a love for Jesus that the world could never understand. In fact, in the next verse, one of the disciples, Judas, the one who would betray Christ, even criticized her. And he said, we, couldn't we have sold that and used that money for something that makes better sense? And Jesus rebuked him because there is a love that Judas just couldn't understand. So how do we love the Lord? How do we honor the Lord? Well, sometimes we need to make an unreasonable sacrifice. Sometimes we need to go over the top. Sometimes we need to give roses. Sometimes we need to give the rarest of diamonds. Sometimes the only way to truly honor the Lord involves us making an unreasonable sacrifice. So what, what do I mean when I say sacrifice? Well, David defines it here, King David, when he says, I will not offer the Lord that which costs me nothing. A sacrifice is something that costs us. And maybe the best illustration is to talk about what a sacrifice is not. So if you go home today and you go into your closet and you find all the clothes that are worn out and all the clothes that don't fit and all the clothes you don't wear anymore and you gather them up and you take them down to a thrift shop and you donate them, okay, that's a good thing to do. But that's not a sacrifice, right? Your lifestyle didn't change. In fact, it probably got better because there's not so much junk in your closet. So a sacrifice is not when we just give something. A sacrifice is when we give something in a way that it costs us something. As true followers of Christ, we have to ask, what am I truly, how am I truly honoring the Lord? Does my love for the Lord cost me something? Or do I just give the Lord my leftovers and my rubbish? And so number one, this love that the world can't understand is expressed in an unreasonable sacrifice. Number two, it's expressed in needless self-denial. Uh, so this is closely related, uh, but sometimes we just need to give something up. One of the ways we can demonstrate our love for the Lord, an unreasonable way, a needless way it seems sometimes, is to make a sacrifice in giving something up. Uh, Jesus says something uh, about this that's, that's odd. It, it, it's, it's odd because this is something the world can't understand. Listen to what Jesus said in Matthew 16, 24. Jesus said, if anyone wants to follow after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. Now we live in a culture where nobody wants to deny himself right? We live in a culture where it's hard to even talk about sin because people think if you have a desire, then fulfilling that desire can't be sin. Well, it can be sin and it often is sin. And a part of having this love for the Lord that the world doesn't understand is that there are times when we deny some of those desires. There are times when we even deny legitimate desires, self-denial, and we honor the Lord with that, a type of love that the world can never understand. Number three, this love is expressed in unnecessary inconvenience. Uh, there are times when we express our love for God, 
this love the world doesn't understand by embracing an inconvenience in life that is difficult. But often our commitments to the Lord, uh, our, the way we live out our faith is we just make it subject to our convenience. We say, I'm going to serve the Lord. I'm going to live for the Lord as long as it's convenient, right? Uh, we say, I will love the Lord when it's convenient. I'll live a godly life when it's convenient. I'll tell the truth when it's convenient. I'll give to the work of the Lord when it's convenient. I'll serve the Lord when it's convenient. And the best example, I think, aside from 2 Samuel 24, what David did, I think the best example is a command that'll be partially familiar to you. It's the command in the Old Testament uh, to keep the seventh day holy. Now, that's a whole nother sermon, what exactly it means and how we keep the seventh day holy. But the way most people see that is, is that I'm gonna take a day a week off and I'm not gonna work, I'm gonna dedicate that day to the Lord and to my family. That's how people see it. Now, when we say that, what we mean is that we're going to take a day off and rest and dedicate it to the Lord and to our families as long as it is convenient, right? But let me read how the Bible states this command in Exodus 34, 21, because there's a little tag on the end of this verse that may surprise you. He says, you are to labor six days, but you must rest on the seventh day. That's the part we all remember. Look at the last part. You must even rest during plowing and harvesting times. See, this doesn't say that you should do it when it is convenient. This is saying you should do it especially when it's not convenient. <laughs> In fact, we don't need a command to rest when it's convenient, right? Everybody in the world does that. If you don't have anything else to do and you're tired, you're going to rest. You don't need a command from the Lord. That's just what you do. And so when God says rest on the seventh day, he's not saying rest when it's convenient, rest when there's not something else going on. He's saying no, especially. He's saying I'm really only talking about the times that are inconvenient. See, one of the ways we express this love for the Lord is by embracing inconvenience in our expression of, of our adoration. You know, we have service, worship service here at 1015, both services, 1015. We used to have service at 11. And let's just imagine, I'm not saying that this happened, but let's just imagine that somebody came and said, Pastor, uh, you got to change it back to 11. Because to come at 1015 is just too difficult for me and my family to get up and get to church at such an ungodly hour. Now, just, just imagine somebody said that. Uh, listen, sometimes what it means to love and honor the Lord is to be inconvenienced in our walk. Let me give you the last one quickly. Expressed, the last way we show this uh, love the world can never understand, it's expressed in exorbitant investment uh, David didn't just walk up this hill. Uh, he purchased the land with his money. He offered a sacrifice that he paid for. He made an exorbitant investment that the world wouldn't have understood. 
I love a parable that Jesus gave. It's just one verse, short, but it's, uh, it's packed with meaning. Matthew 13, 45, Jesus said, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of a fine pearl. And when he found one priceless pearl, he went and sold everything he had and he bought it. Uh, now the point of that is not that you can go and buy the Lord or you can buy salvation. The point of that is that the Lord and the Lord's salvation is so wonderful. It is so valuable. It is so incredible that even if you gave everything you have, it would still be a bargain. Now, somebody might look at a merchant who would sell everything he has just to buy a little pearl, and they might say, that's exorbitant. That's over the top. That's beyond the pale. But that's exactly the point. It was so valuable to him that he would give everything. See, there's a love for God that we don't measure. There is a love for God that, that's not reasonable. There's a love for God that is expressed with an exorbitant investment. Exorbitant investment. Now, I know, and in fact, I've got it here in my notes, this is an absurd message. Uh, it doesn't make sense. Uh, no, it doesn't make sense to sacrifice merely for the sake of love, uh, to deny desires just to bring honor to the Lord, to be inconvenienced, uh, to invest your life just in the glory of God. But this is what it means to have an affection and a deep love, not just for what God does, but for who God is. Have you ever known someone, a couple, maybe an older couple, and I'm thinking of some I know, and one of, one of the couple, the husband or the wife, uh, has dementia. And the dementia gets worse and worse uh, to the point where the one with dementia may not even recognize his or her spouse and can't take care of himself or herself, doesn't have anything to offer but trouble and fatigue and frustration. But you watch the healthy spouse give up everything to take care of his wife or her husband. You see them give up their freedom and give up their, their security and give up sleep. And, and you know, that doesn't make any sense at all. That is a, a foolish bargain unless it's your spouse, right? Unless it's somebody you love, not for what they do for you, but because of who they are. That is the kind of love that the world will never understand, but the kind of love that we must have for the Lord. David said, I will not offer the Lord that which cost me nothing. Why? Because God is so great and so holy because of God's goodness and God's forgiveness and God's love because God God brings us peace and joy because of who God is. Now, there are benefits uh, to following God, certainly. In fact, David writes in Psalm 103 too, do not forget the benefits of the Lord. But David loved the Lord, not because of the benefits, but because of the character of God. 
There is something about loving God for the sake of God. Now, I want to end the message not with uh, a bunch of uh, application points. Here's what you need to go do. I just want to end it with some questions. So let's do this. Bow your head, close your eyes, both services, and let me just ask these questions and you think about them. What kind of sacrifices are you making simply to demonstrate your love for God? What kind of inconveniences are you gladly embracing as an expression of your adoration for the Lord? How does your offering cost you? How does, it, how does giving change your lifestyle? How, how does your love for the Lord show up in your financial life? What could you point to in a way of denying yourself and taking up the cross that highlights your love for the Lord? Father in heaven, I love you. Not as a part of some grand bargain, not for what you have done for me or will do, not for the benefits. I just love you. Increase my love because you're worthy. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand together as we sing.